Hey, make some noise for Jesus in this place. Come on. There's no one greater. There's no one better. You may be seated. A great big thank you to President, Interim President, Dr. Graham, Doug, and Vicki. I'm so grateful for you guys and your leadership. Uh, when I think about people in my life that I want to be like someday, uh, your name comes to that mind, or your name comes to mind on that list of people I want to be like. To me, the, the greatest impact in the world, it starts in the home. It starts by how you treat your wife, how you raise your kids. You are leaving a massive legacy, way bigger than you even know. Can we honor our president, Dr. Graham, Doug, Doug and Vicki, thank you so much. Honored by you, thank you for saying yes to spearhead this for such a time as this. Believing for great things for you guys. And then my brother, Joshua Edmond, I can't wait till we can travel and preach together someday. I'm just prophesying that and speaking that. We will be on the same ticket someday, my friend. I believe it. I'm so grateful for you and your passion for these kids, your passion for these students in the next generation. It's contagious. Thanks for stewarding the atmosphere. Can we honor Josh, Pastor Joshua? I love you so much. Uh, how many of you, you've never heard me speak before, just by a show of hands? You've never heard me speak before. I love to just know who's never heard. Okay, bet. Nice to meet you. Uh, to all the preview students and parents, I just want to say a great big welcome on behalf of North Central University. Uh, this is an amazing, amazing place. The history is rich. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people have been raised up and sent out of this university to be marketplace leaders, lawyers, doctors, to be people who are preaching, uh, teaching, leading all over the place. This is an amazing university. Yes, I am biased because I met my wife here. Here's a picture of my wife, Steph. We met right here at North Central University. Uh, she was on the worship team, the traveling worship team here at the school. And we met here and we just celebrated 11 years of marriage, y'all. Give it up for that. Come on. First comes love, then comes marriage, then comes the baby and the baby carriage. There's my little boy, Malachi David. That's him. And then before I short, don't put the next picture up yet. My little girl, she's seven years old. Uh, grandma, grandma watches her like once a week so we can get a date night. So grandma's over. And grandma introduced her to a concept that I ain't sure any of y'all know, okay? Before, there were these devices called curlers, like the hot iron curlers, like those ones. The old school, old-fashioned days, grandmas pulled out pink and blue foam rollers, put up this picture. We're bringing curlers back, y'all. We're bringing the curlers back. Bring the blue and pink foam curlers back, y'all. Okay, no one else is excited, just a 30-some-year-old male. Great. That's my little girl, Ev. She's seven. Grandma introduced her to Shirley Temple. Shirley Temple's in her house. No, it ain't a drink. No, it ain't a drink at a bar. It's a little girl who went viral before there was ever TikTok who had really tight curls. Google it and you'll thank me later. Animal crackers in my soup. Sorry, okay. Anyway, 
Uh, that's my little girl. She's rocking the rollers. She screamed when she saw the picture of her hair so tight because she ain't used to that, but now she loves it. Uh, the last thing I'll mention before I get into the text today, this is really, really exciting. At noon, I'm dropping an announcement that I've been holding on to for three years. You're like, three years? What the, like, what's going on? Three years ago, I was driving back from Iowa, and God dropped an idea in my heart. Micah, what if you used fashion to literally help change the world. I have a deep passion for the nations, and if you read your Bible, God's heart breaks for the nations. The reason why he blesses Israel is not so Israel can keep their blessing. He blesses them so that the nations might be blessed. The whole totality of scripture from beginning to end is the whole world knowing God's love. So, Today at noon, I am publicly launching a video that is dropping a dream that's been in my heart for a long time. I'm starting a clothing line, my wife and I, called Everyone Everywhere. Who is the gospel for? It's for everyone. Where was the gospel meant to go? Everywhere. The problem right now is not everyone everywhere knows God loves them. In fact, 42% of the world, 42%, has never, ever heard the name of Jesus. They don't have a Bible. They don't have a missionary. They don't have a local church. They don't have a pastor. They have nothing. And know what breaks my heart? Is less than 1% of all capital C church dollars, less than 1% is going to reach the 42% who's never heard the gospel. So when you buy Everyone Everywhere merch, you're literally going to help us reach everyone everywhere with the gospel because we're giving our profits away to the 42% who's never heard the gospel. Really dope. Thank you for letting me share that. I am really excited. Uh, This is a hoodie that we're launching. This is a shirt that I'm wearing that we're launching. Uh, That brown shirt, like cocoa shirt, on the back of it is 42%. And know what's really dope? is college kids who are wearing our merch. I literally got a text from a St. Thomas kid. She goes, Micah, this shirt may have been the easiest way ever to share the gospel. She goes, I was in Target, and this lady asked me about my brown shirt, because on the back of that brown shirt is this giant 42%. And this lady in Target goes, I'm sorry, but like, what's everyone everywhere? And she goes, well, God loves everyone everywhere. She got to share the gospel with this lady in Target. What's really dope is people are in the U.S. are going to come to know Jesus because teenagers and young adults are repping a shirt. And then people around the world are going to have access and funding to be able to see the 42% reached with the gospel. That gets me excited, y'all. It ain't. It ain't about a flipping brand. It ain't about that. It's about people. It's about reaching lost people. Uh, These are three hat concepts that we have. Uh, I got a text from Lindsay who works here. She's a former youth student of ours. She goes, will you please bring some of your merch to North Central? I said, I can't because we have all of it right now down at Minnesota Youth Convention where there's 4,000 teenagers. But there's an online digital store launching this Saturday. Thank you for the spiel. I am done now. Okay, if you could stand with me for the reading of God's word. You can open your Bibles to Luke chapter 14, which by the way, uh, currently I'm in a master's program at a university called North Central University. And I'm not just saying this. When you graduate or even before, you should already start thinking how you can apply for a master's program right here. 
I didn't know going through a master's degree in theology would impact my teaching, would impact my preaching, my writing in so many different ways. President Graham says this way, Micah, almost every problem in the world today is a theological problem. So if you can have a theological basis and understanding, we can help equip the church to be who she's called to be. I am loving this. Um, the Gospel of Luke specifically, you have to keep in mind that it's a two-volume work. It's Luke and Acts. Luke is the prequel. Acts is the sequel. you got to keep that in mind. And there are themes that emerge from Luke that you won't find in any of the Gospels. You're like, how do you know this? Because I'm in a synoptic Gospels class right now for my theology program where I'm comparing Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and the best professor ever. Actually, I can't say that because there's other good ones in here, but she's really amazing. Dr. Elaine Buchanan is right there. Give it up for her. But you're going to see in just a little bit the Gospel of Luke is all about flipping the world and the idea of the kingdom upside down on its stinking head. It ain't done by power. It ain't done by influence. It ain't done by violence and killing people. How the kingdom of God advances is a playbook given through Luke. It emerges right away from Mary's song, talking about the proud being ripped down. The text that I'm preaching from today a little bit later talks about how those who exalt themselves will be humbled those who humble themselves will be exalted. The text starts in Luke 14, verse 1. It's on the screen. It says this. It says, One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. I'm sorry, y'all, but like, I don't know if you've ever had someone just stare at you while you're eating lunch. Awkward. Like, low-key, just, why are you staring at me? Just look at someone else. Jesus is being carefully watched. So awkward and so rude. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? By the way, in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus breaks the Sabbath five different times. That's not unlike other Gospels. But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Then he asked them, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. God, today, I pray this university would get a look into the heart of who you are once again. Help our lives to model and reflect what yours is about. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. Give it up for God's word. You can have a seat. The title of my message is titled Lunch with Jesus. Lunch with Jesus. And I thought about getting a little two-person table up here with some of the best lunch ever from Chick-fil-A. Because if Jesus was going to eat at a chicken place, he'd probably choose Chick-fil-A. Okay? Lunch with Jesus. Have any of you ever been out somewhere in public and someone really famous walks in the room? And like, all of a sudden, when the famous one walks in the room, everyone just stops what they're doing and literally starts staring at whoever was famous walking in the room. Have any, anybody ever been in public? Any ever seen a famous person? And you just, you know what I'm saying? Like, just things stop. People notice. Why is it that as humans, when someone famous walks in, we're like, oh my, ah, my, ah. Like, we have people going to the Vikings game thinking Swifty was there. No, she wasn't. But why is it? That us as humans, it's like we're drawn to prominent people. 
And maybe it's not just people we're drawn to. Maybe it's the idea that we're lured by. That having prominence all of a sudden validates us. Having influence all of a sudden does something special for us. Why is it that in this concept of humanity, we have this desire and lure for prominent people or merely the idea of prominence? I was at a, on a date with my wife. Hey. We were at our original date spot, okay? I brought her to Cheesecake Factory, all right? That was our first date spot. So we're there at Cheesecake Factory, and as we're sitting down, we're at a two-person table. And if you've ever been to Cheesecake, you know they keep the lights dim, real dim, okay? So she's across from me, and there's a table right next to us that's empty. And in comes walking in this giant dude, big, jacked dude. And I'm like, uh-uh. That is the starting linebacker for the Minnesota Vikings. And I see him walk in the door. And my wife's like, okay, I'm right here. Like, who are you staring at? Like, I'm right here. I just keep staring at this big linebacker guy. Starting linebacker for the Minnesota Vikings. I watch the hostess bring him and his girl. Guess where they sit him? Right next to our table. And I pull out my phone, and I am texting my friends under the table. I'm texting my wife. I'd be like, you're not going to believe who's sitting right next to me. This is the starting linebacker for the Minnesota Vikings, and he is two feet right there. And so I pull out my phone. (laughs) I open my camera app. And under the table, I'm, no shame, y'all. Under the table, I press the photo button, but I forgot to turn off the flash. It's a dark restaurant. I lit his whole face and body up. The dude was lit. I'm a, I'm not, I'm, I never get embarrassed. Ask my wife. I ain't never get embarrassed. When I lit this brother up, the starting linebacker, I literally like quick put my phone down. And you know how like the flash holds and still takes the photo? So I got a photo of my black napkin from Cheesecake Factory. And my wife out loud screams and goes, Micah! Like, it couldn't be more obvious. You gotta throw in my name. It was the most awkward dinner ever, knowing I lit him up. He knows I'm a giant Vikings fan. But why is it that we're so easily drawn to people who are famous? You know what you can find out in a short amount of time? A lot of information about someone, you know you can find a lot of info out in a quick amount of time, is at a lunch. Because when you're at lunch with someone and you're sitting down having a meal with them, you quickly figure out what their passions are. Because all you need to do is listen to what comes out of their mouth and you know what they're saying. I want to take you on a journey, on a lunch with Jesus, to give you an inside look to his heart and who he is all about. Number one, if you're taking notes, is this. Is religious influence doesn't move Jesus. Religious influence doesn't move Jesus. It says when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee. Let's stop right there. Pharisees were used to being treated like they were important. Because back in the day, they had these flowing robes. And when a Pharisee would walk down the street, everybody knew a Pharisee was coming. They were respected. They were treated with honor. People had a huge, huge honor and respect for Pharisees. And I love how Luke says Jesus was eating with the prominent Pharisee. 
And I can imagine these Pharisees are expecting Jesus to treat them the same way everyone else treats them, with this huge utmost respect and honor. But when we see Jesus in the different Gospels, some of the greatest tension Jesus has towards anybody in the Gospels is who? The religious, influential leaders. And he goes after them multiple times, calling them names like brood of vipers, saying how their converts are going to be twice the sons of hell that they are. Jesus uses strong language with Pharisees. Jesus is trying to communicate something to them. And know what interests me? is I don't know that I would act the same way Jesus does in this scenario because I'd be so consumed with who I was sitting down with and how prominent they were. I don't know that I can honestly say my response would be just like Jesus' in this scenario. This is fascinating to me because Jesus is sitting down with a really important person, but his attention isn't on the important person. His attention is somewhere else. And then we see in Philippians 2 a really powerful description on who Jesus is. It says in verse 6 through 8, Paul writes, Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Let's stop right there for a second. How many times did Pharisees take advantage and add even more burdens to the common folk that they weren't even practicing? They were utilizing their religious privilege. They were utilizing their place. They were utilizing their place in society to take advantage of widows, to oppressing people. And it says this, like Paul writes about Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Jesus is sitting down with the famous of the famous. He's sitting down with the most well-known of Pharisees. And his attention ain't on who's famous. In other words, Jesus isn't moved by religious influence. So why are we? Why are we? Influence is a mirage. Influence is like dust. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. Any position God gives in his kingdom is meant to be stewarded and used as a mean to serve. It ain't about our name. It ain't about us. It ain't about our followings, our influence. It's all about the kingdom of God and Jesus to use for the benefit of other people. So why are we so consumed with it? Jesus serves as a model. He's not moved by religious, famous people. The goal is never meant to be famous on TikTok. The goal is never meant to be famous as a pastor. The goal is just to be faithful and obedient with what God's called you to do. And we're called to leave outcomes to Jesus. Jesus isn't moved by religious influence. And then number two, this is what we also learn about being at lunch with Jesus, is this, is suffering and broken people moved Jesus. Have you ever been to lunch with someone and like you're trying to get their attention and share a story, but they just keep looking out the window? It's like they don't give a rip about what you have to say. Or have you ever been out to eat with someone and it's like, hey, do you even hear what I'm saying? Can you imagine Jesus eating with a group of Pharisees and he ain't even looking at one single one of them? And they're trying to talk to him and they're probably thinking, 
who is this dude that won't even give me the time of day? Does he know who I am? Does he know how prominent I am? And who can't Jesus take his eyes off of? He can't stop staring at this person who's filled with abnormal swelling in this disease. He's at a prominent lunch. The who's who are there. And who is he concerned with? He ain't concerned with influence. He ain't concerned with power or greed. He's concerned with the broken and the outcast. He's concerned with the widow. He's concerned with the disease. He's concerned with the nobodies. He's moved by it. He can't stop staring at the one who's right in front of him. That is so like Jesus to stop for a naked man who's full of demons, who's been crying out day and night, and the screams from the tombs are hitting the people in the town, but they've grown so numb. Jesus is that kind of person who will stop for a sick, demonically possessed man and make him right. Jesus will stop for the father who's grieving the loss of his daughter who's about to die. Jesus loves to stop for the outcast who has a blood issue for 12 years and make it personal for her. Jesus loves to stop for sinners and tax collectors. Jesus loves to stop and reveal himself to women, where in that day, women's testimony didn't have much of value. You see, Jesus in the Gospel of Luke is seen over and over again of coming near to the sinner, coming near to the broken. He's flipping the kingdom upside down on people's heads. He's revealing a different way forward of what it means to follow him and who he was about. He's like, do you not see him? Do you not see the brokenness right in front of you? It's right here, and you're so caring about what seat you're going to sit in. You care so much about if your name's on the front row or not. Forget that. Take the least important seat. Get your butt down to the bottom. Let your name be called up. Go invite the poor. Go invite the lame and the crippled. Everyone else wants to make excuses for what they got going in life. Then invite anyone that won't come because no one else gives a rip about them. That's who my kingdom's for. It's like Superman had this kryptonite. If there was a kryptonite for Jesus, it would be his propensity to always notice the suffering and the broken that no one wanted to see. How many times does he stop? I, I, guys, we can't move. These people are like sheep without a shepherd. We can't move from here. We got to feed them. It reminds me of a man who lived this out in the flesh by the name of William Booth, that whenever he'd see broken people, he wouldn't let it be a feeling. He was moved to compassion. Some of the greatest movements that started in the Salvation Army was a man full of faith in Jesus who raised up a wife and daughters and kids who had the same kind of faith that was matched with an action and compassion towards suffering and broken people. This world needs a university who will go after Jesus with all their heart. This world needs kids like you who will run to Jesus and take up his heart for broken people. The best dreams have yet to be dreamt. The best, best visions have yet to be lived out. God is tasking you for such a time as this to speak to you, to minister to you. You see, Jesus isn't moved by religious influence. Jesus isn't moved by any of that. But he's always been moved by broken and suffering people. 
which leads me to my whole point, to my whole message. I call it the big so what, which is this. Jesus held what the religious elite wouldn't touch. Jesus held on to what the religious elite dare not touch. It says in the text, there in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? They remained silent. This is this, this, you can't miss this. You cannot miss this picture I'm about to show you. Please. It says, so taking hold of the man, we got to stop right there. The word in the Greek, taking hold, is the same word that the writer uses in Acts when it says they seized Paul and Silas. This Greek word is a very, very, very strong word. It's literally crushing. It's literally like not just, hey, come here, bud. Just come here. No, taking hold like Jesus gets up from a spot considers his position of nothing and he comes to the man of swelling who the Pharisees weren't supposed to touch and there he is with his arms holding a man who's full of swelling and full of disease. You got to get this picture in your head. The savior of the world came to hold what no one else wanted to touch. The savior of the world came to put his arms around the very people that the originally dare not go around. Jesus, the savior of the world, is holding on. What a picture, y'all. Can you imagine how offended these Pharisees feel watching Jesus hold a diseased man, just holding him? It says he took hold of the man. He seized the man. He wasn't letting that man go. Let me remind every single person in the room. You and I are a lot like the one who's full of swelling. You and I were born sinners. You and I were born with a sin nature. We set ourselves up against God. Some of us even become enemies of God. But this is a word for everyone in the room that Jesus came to hold you. To take hold of your life. To change you from the inside out. Let's be moved by what Jesus was moved by. Let's remember his heart and who he is. Who has God called you to hold? Or maybe you're in a spot where you just need God to hold you. With every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here in the room and you're not following Jesus, I want to give you a chance for you to be held by your Savior. Would you just put up a hand wherever you are saying, hey, I, wanna, I need to be held by my Savior. I need to surrender my life to Jesus. Thanks for being real. I need to be held by my Savior. I will always take time at any service anywhere. Jesus, I thank you for the honesty that's in the room today. I thank you for every student. Thank you for teaching us the way of your kingdom, this upside-down kingdom. God, I pray your favor and your face to shine upon these students and these faculty. I pray the spirit of encouragement, your encouragement that comes from the Holy Spirit, that comes from belonging to Christ Jesus to cover this university. God, may these students grow into the women and men of God you're calling them to become. Help them to see you. Help them to have encounters that last a lifetime from this university. I pray a blessing over all the preview students. All the parents here, thank you for the sacrifice of them coming. Holy Spirit, would you lead them? Would you order their steps? Selfishly, God, let it be here. 
But Lord, help them go where they need to go. Jesus, we thank you for today. In your name we pray. Amen. You guys are dismissed from chapel. God bless you guys.